Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 18. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 18. We are on the heels of one of the most important victories in all of history. Something that is still referred to today inside of secular history. And of course that would be the battle between David and Goliath. Which was not so much a battle between Goliath and a little shepherd boy as much as it was between Goliath and the living God of Israel. That David was the instrument, but Goliath was not the giant in that story. It was God who was the giant. And that all David did was believe and trust in God. And God is the one who delivered the great victory. Now we have the aftermath. That the Philistines up to this time had been oppressing the, the Israelites. That up to this time the Philistines had been encroaching upon it. And Israel has been getting more and more powerful. And we still again know that the book of 1 Samuel is the study between two people and their hearts. You have King Saul who had the heart of the people, the, the same mindset of the people. And then you had David who had the very heart of God. And we see the comparison of how they respond to things by faith. How they respond to things in obedience. How they respond to things when sin is pointed out. And now we can see the aftermath of this great victory. And side by side we can see the responses of these two gentlemen after the victory and pressing forward. With this, notice with me in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 18 and notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Samuel 18 in verse 1. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul. That the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him uh, over, set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in all the sight of the people. <laughs> And also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came. When David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines. That the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing. To meet King Saul with tabrets and with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said. Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. What can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that an evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. <coughs> And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because God, the Lord, was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed from him and made him captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people." And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, because he went, in and went out and came in before them. 
And David said unto da- or Saul said unto David, Behold my elder daughter Mereb, her will I give thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me, and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. And David said unto Saul, Who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law to the king? But it came to pass at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Meholiite, to wife. And Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give him her, that she may be a snare to him, and the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt be my son-in-law in the one of the twain. And Saul commanded his servant, saying, Commune with David secretly, and say, Behold, the king hath delighted in thee, and all thy servants love thee. Now therefore be the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servant spake all these, spake the words into the ears of David. And David said, Seemeth to you a light thing to be the king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, On this manner spake David. And Saul said, Thus shall ye say to David, The king desireth not any dowry, but a hundred foreskins of Philistines, to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these things, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his two men, or in his men, and slew the Philistines two hundred men, and brought their foreskins, and gave them to full tell to the king, that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, to wife. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. And if you have the demarcate things in your Bible, would you notice a phrase that is mentioned at least four times within this passage? Four times. Notice with me, first of all, in verse 5, where it says that he behaved himself wisely. Once again, we see it in verse number 14. David behaved himself wisely. Once again, in verse number 15, we see that he behaved himself very wisely. And then in verse number 30, we see that David behaved himself more wisely. And with this, as we're seeing the character of David in the heart of David, we see this, that he behaved himself wisely. He behaved himself wisely. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach this message and try to apply it to ourselves with the principle here that he behaved himself wisely. (laughs) If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And I recognize now my need of you. I need you. That (laughs) my current illness would not be a distraction. It wouldn't be uh, something to, to cause people not to look at you and look at the message and to look at the principle that you're getting across. That you can show yourself high, holy, and lifted up. That you could help folks with their everyday life. That they could behave themselves wisely no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation that as they're trusting in you and depending upon you and looking for the wisdom that you promised to give them, that they can behave themselves wisely. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And once again, you get your work accomplished. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, we see this phrase that God is placing the emphasis over, over and over and over. David behaved himself wisely. David behaved himself wisely. Now we understand that wisdom is available for us in the book of James chapter 1 and verse 5. It says that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it to him liberally 
and abradeth him not. That's a wonderful verse. That if any man lack wisdom, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to do this. I don't know this. If any man has lack wisdom, he can ask of God any time. And God will give it to him liberally. Meaning he'll give you like a big helping hand of it. He'll, he won't be stingy with it. He'll give you all that you need and more so. And then it says, and he'll abradeth not. Meaning that God won't yell at you and say, you know what? What are you asking for wisdom for? Can't you take care of this yourself? God will never do that. He'll never yell at you for asking for wisdom. Isn't that a comfort? You could ask for wisdom and how to behave ourselves. Now let's define our terms. Knowledge is what we know. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Meaning the practical everyday. What do I do with this knowledge that I have? What do I do? You can have wisdom in your life. Just by asking God for it. Now when it deals with the idea that David behaved himself wisely. What we're going to see here is that it carries itself in all circumstances, in all situations. That there's never a time in a Christian's life where you are allowed to behave unwisely. Let me give you an example. Have you ever known a poor loser, a sore loser? Maybe you're playing a game and if you're beating them too much, they'll flip a table. What's even worse than a sore loser is a sore winner. They win and they provoke you and ha ha, look how great I am. And it's no fun to play with them. It's no fun to play with sore losers. What about someone who's hurting? Uh-oh, they're hurting, so we better stay away from them. Uh-oh, they got that rain cloud around them. Uh, and, and there's some people that you have to determine what type of mood they're in to see whether they're worth hanging out or not. You know, that should never be spoken of a Christian. A Christian, no matter what the circumstances, should always behave themselves wisely. There is never, ever an excuse. There is never, ever any time where it's excusable for a Christian to be grumpy. Never. Just because you're hurting doesn't mean you have to be grumpy about it. Just because you're aggravated with your day. And by the way, we understand there's aggravations. Do you go to work? Then there's aggravations. Do you deal with people? Then there's aggravations. Do you have family members? Then you definitely have aggravation. Do you have finances? Well, then as long as you deal with money. There's, you don't understand. We're not talking about the absence of aggravations. The absence of pain. That's not what the Christian life is about. It's how you respond to each of these situations. That determines who you're trusting in. There is never a circumstance, never a situation that a Christian is allowed in the sight of God to behave themselves unwisely, to throw a fit, to be grumpy. Now, we do have some empathy and sympathy that if someone's going through something, we as humans can understand why someone is grumpy. But in the sight of God, there is never a time where you are allowed to be grumpy. You know why? Because we could ask of God. We could ask God for help. Let's say that you wake up in the morning and you don't feel good. You know, just because you wake up in the morning and don't feel good doesn't give you an excuse to be grumpy. But immediately you recognize in your own self, I don't feel good. I need help, God. And he'll give you help. I'm hurting today, and I know I can't control my tongue. God, help me. And you know that God will help you. I'm winning this game, and I don't want to aggravate the people who I'm playing with because I want them to play with me again. Help me to respond properly. Do you know that any time you know you need help, you can ask God for it. There is never, ever a circumstance, never, ever a situation where you as a Christian are allowed in the sight of God to behave yourself unwisely. Because God made you a promise that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it to him liberally and abradeth not. You could always ask for God to help you to behave 
wisely. And so with that, let's examine this passage here as God himself is the one who's placed emphasis. It is God himself who has said over and over, he behaved himself wisely. He behaved himself wisely. He behaved himself wisely. Let's see what the Bible has to say about the different circumstances that David behaved himself wisely. The first thing I'd like to show you is this, that David behaved himself wisely in victory. That David behaved himself wisely in victory. Now again, this is one of the most amazing victories in all of human history. You had the giant Goliath. Nine foot tall, four inches. His chain mail he wore was 125 pounds. The, the spear that he had in his hand weighed 33 pounds. This is a major victory. And you had David who went out with nothing but a slingshot, a staff, and five smooth stones. And he walked out and even Goliath, he laughed at him and said, what am I, a dog? And David's coming out here with a stick? What am I going to beat me with a stick? What are you going to do? And God is the one who got the victory. Now David could have easily tried to take the credit himself. He could have went out immediately and said, hey guys. See what I did? See how amazing I was? Let me tell you exactly how I did this. I practiced for hours and I swirled that around. And I knew with the target that big, there was no way I could miss. Hey, see how great I am? Someone touch me quick. You know, he could have been a sore loser. And yeah, he had been respected. But, you know, people would have been turned off by that. They would have been annoyed after a while to hear someone talk about how great they are. Notice, if you don't mind, as David responds wisely, even in victory. Notice in verse number one. And it came to pass when he made an end with speaking with Saul, that's David. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Here we see this great friendship, this close-knit friendship between David and Jonathan. At this time, David is about 17 years old. Jonathan is in his 40s. So there's about a 20-year gap here, but yet they become the best of friends. Jonathan sees him, recognizes that God is with him. Now, Jonathan himself is someone who trusted the Lord and that God has used in the past. And he recognized there was something to David. There was something to this young man. And so Jonathan wanted to invest in him, to care for him. Notice verse 2. And Saul took him, that's David that day, and would not let him go in, uh, no more to his father's house. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him. So the royal robe that Jonathan wore, he took off and gave to David and said, You know what, David, you are the man. And gave it to David and his garments. And even to a sword. So here's Jonathan's sword. David, you take this. Here's my bow. David, you take this. My girdle, you take this, David. He gave everything of his royal lineage. And he gave it to David to honor him. <laughs> now, once again, David knows in his mind that God had told him that he was going to be king. Can you imagine what this was like when the king's son, the one who was supposed to be king, and again, we know what's going to happen. Jonathan, who was supposed to be king, ends up not being king. It's David that takes over. And Jonathan humbles himself, recognizes this. This is, this is the next king. He is more worthy of this. Now, how would you respond if someone said, hey, guess what? I know I'm supposed to be the king. You're the next king. Here you go. Here's this. How would you respond? Would you like, of course I am. See how great I am? Of course, why wouldn't you bow down to me? But David behaved himself wisely, even in victory here. When he's being honored, he's still behaving himself wisely. Now, he's not showing false humility either. God has placed him in this position, but he's not using this to run and build himself up. Notice what happens in verse number 5. And David went without whatever Saul sent him. Now Saul's the king. And whatever uh, Saul sent him. David go take care of this. Yes sir. David go take care of this. Yes sir. At no time did David say. Hey wait a second. That's beneath me. Don't you understand? I'm the giant killer. Why in the world do you want me to go take care of this? Can't you go have someone else take care of this? David didn't get too big for his britches. 
he recognized that, hey, Saul's the leader. Even though I won this victory, there's still a proper way for me to respond. Notice with this. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And he was accepted in all the people in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came that David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines. And the women came out of the city singing and dancing to meet with Saul. Or to, to meet King Saul with tabrets and joy and with instruments and music. And the women played one to another as they played. And Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can I do? What can he have more than, than the kingdom? Here we see that David, as the women are playing and singing this song, that David still behaved himself wisely. He didn't try to get more credit for it. He understood that they were singing and why they were singing. And he's placed in charge of the troops. And this whole time he's behaving himself wisely. And people are recognizing that they've treated him wisely. Which now brings us to a second thing here. As we see the attention back on King Saul. That David behaved himself wisely even with his enemies. David behaved himself wisely even with his enemies. As we see King Saul now, Saul is not happy. Saul is very jealous you know, there's something about envy. Envy is when you cannot be happy for good things to happen to someone else. Man, why can't that happen to me? Why do they like them more than me? Envy is a horrible thing and it's not behaving yourself wisely. To be dead to self and to say, you know what, I'm glad good things happen to them. Not thinking of yourself. Saul was just thinking of himself. He was just thinking about how everyone should be honoring him and how everyone should treat him great and how everyone should recognize how great he is. Why are they looking to David? Because David is behaving himself wisely. But King Saul, he is upset. And notice what happens now in verse 9. And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Here Saul said, I'm going to keep an eye on this boy. And it's not in a good way. I'm going to look for him to mess up. I'm going to look for him to do something. I'm going to peg him down somewhere. Saul has already made up his mind that he is David's enemy. He does not want David to succeed. He does not want David to move forward. So notice in verse 10. And it came to pass that on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. Now we've explained this before, but because God's mercy was withdrawn from Saul. Because God's spirit was withdrawn with Saul, it's taken away the happiness, the joy. And all that is left in King Saul is, is his own selfishness, his own envy. And he's getting grumpier and grumpier looking, how come things can't happen good to me? How come things aren't turning out to me? How come not every... And he's the king. They just had a great victory, but he can't enjoy it. He's just getting grumpier and grumpier with it. Notice this. That he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Now, let me pause here. Saul was a man of war. He's won victories before. His favorite weapon was the javelin. A javelin is a long pole with one end sharpened down that you would throw at a distance. And that people who throw javelins, they practice and practice, and they become pretty lethal with it. David is inside of a chamber playing, and it's not a far reach for a javelin. It's within the range. Saul is someone who's very practiced with it. It's not like he grabbed a lamp and just tossed it having a fit. He had a javelin. He's playing with it. David's singing, and this time David's singing is not uh, making him happier. Remember, we covered the idea that David is actually singing scriptures Psalm 19 is one of them, singing about the word of the Lord and that God could be with him and that God can guide him. And Saul's getting grumpier and grumpier and finally he can't stand it no more. That little peep squeak, he's going to take everything from me. That little peep squeak, he's done everything. I hate him. And he takes his javelin, verse number 11, and Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. So Saul has the javelin. He's looking at David and he's getting angrier and angrier. He says in his mind, you know what? I could get him. 
I could throw this javelin. I could pin that little pipsqueak to the wall. Finally, he thinks about it long enough. I'm going to do it. And he throws the javelin. And the most amazing thing happens. And David avoided out of his presence. So what happened is that it was God. We're going to see this in the passage tonight. That it was God that made the javelin miss. And there's going to be a result from this. So David's playing. Imagine you're in David's mind. All you could see is that King Saul's grumpy and everyone's avoiding him. Nobody talks to Saul during this time. He's just too grumpy. Nope, don't talk to him. And so David's playing. And he's watching Saul's face get cloudier and cloudier. I don't know why he's so upset. He's playing. Saul's playing with the javelin in his hand. No big deal. He can do whatever he wants. Then Saul starts lifting it up, getting the weight of it. Then he stands up and throws the thing. David watches as this javelin hits and kind of slow motion turns, hits the wall. He just tried to kill me. How would you react then? Would you perhaps behave yourself unwisely? Would you perhaps be kind of a little bit upset? Maybe say some things? David behaved himself wisely. But notice the, this expression that it says at the end of it. And Saul cast the javelin and said, I will smite David to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. You know what this did? It repeated. Saul missed him with the javelin and he apologized. I'm sorry, David. I just got away from me. Okay. David began to play again. Saul took another javelin and I could get him this time. I've got this. Finally has enough and he throws it at David. Now, he missed again. But if you're David, would you be tempted to respond unwisely? Probably. But remember what I said before, there is never an acceptable time for a Christian to behave himself unwisely. Saul's trying to kill him. Every single one of us would be empathetic and sympathetic and understanding if David was to behave himself unwisely. If David got up and said, listen, you're out of your mind, old man. We would all probably empathize with that. None of us would probably blame Saul. Knowing that our own selves, we probably wouldn't be that as kind as David. But David behaved himself wisely, even in the presence of his enemies. Notice this in verse 12. And Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. You know, he noticed twice, Saul doesn't miss. Twice God protected David. And Saul recognized God left me and is with him. That scared him more because God was with him. Now, if David had behaved himself unwisely, Saul would not have been afraid. But you recognize God is working on Saul because of David's testimony. And God is trying to get a hold of Saul. Notice with me in verse 13. Therefore Saul removed him from him. And made him the captain over a thousand. Saul said, I can't have David around me anymore. I just can't stand him. But I can't kill him, obviously. So here, I'm going to go make him general of all the troops. Here, you just leave me. You could go do some good out there. Just get out of my presence. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord is with him. Hey, David, I heard about that incident with Saul. It's over and done with. We're not going to talk about it. You know, David could have easily said, you know what, that King Saul, he's out of his mind. I was just playing songs and he tried to kill me. But he didn't do that. He did not gossip. Beha gossip is behaving yourself unwisely. He didn't gossip about the king. He said, we're not going to talk about the king. I'm going to do my job now. But he behaved himself wisely in all of his ways and that everyone else recognized it that when people would bring up the incident we're not going to talk about it we're not going to talk about it we're not going to gossip I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do right here and now we're going to let the past go behind I'm going to do this and the Lord was with him notice this we go back to Saul wherefore when Saul saw that he David behaved himself very wisely he was afraid of him Part of Saul's plan was he wanted to catch David talking bad about the king. He was going to catch him. 
But now David behaved himself not just wisely, but very wisely. No one would have blamed David for complaining about the king now. But he didn't do it. Now Saul's really afraid of him because he can't grab a hold of David. He can't say, look, this little pipsqueak's talking bad about the king. He can't say anything. And he is very afraid. Very afraid. Notice with me in verse number <coughs> uh, 16. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and because, went before him. So we have the comparison between the two hearts. You have Saul who's behaving himself unwisely. And he's more and more convicted. More and more miserable. More and more angry. Whereas you have David who behaved himself very wisely. And he is becoming more and more favorable with people. And more and more of God's presence upon him. Because how he responds to outside stimuli. That just because people are against you. Doesn't mean you have to be a grumpy about it. Just because people seem to be turning not the way that you want them to do. Doesn't mean that you have to respond in kind. You don't have to gossip. You don't have to open your mouth. You don't have to bad speak anybody. But you could press yourself. So we see David. He behaved himself wisely in victory. He, he behaved himself wisely in the presence of his enemies. Notice if you don't mind. David behaved himself wisely with dealing with authority. David behaved himself wisely with dealing with authority. Notice in verse 17. And Saul said to David, Behold, my elder daughter Merib, her will I give thee to wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let my, not, not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. Now remember... During the story of David and Goliath, it was promised that whoever defeated Goliath will get to marry Saul's daughter. So Saul finally says, all right, fine, I'll use this. David, you can marry my daughter only if you go fight the Lord's battles for me. So you go out to war, you go fight the enemy, and we'll let you marry my daughter later. And you know what David said? Whatever you want, you're the king. And Saul's plan was to go put him in the front lines every dangerous situation and hope that the Philistines would kill David. We'll show this pipsqueak. Let him die in battle. But he kept winning because God was with him. Over and over, David would win a battle, win a battle, win a battle. Finally, it comes time where they're supposed to get married. Notice if you don't mind verse 18. And David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life or my father's family that I should be son-in-law to the king? And it came to pass when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given unto Adriel, the uh, Melehoite, to wife. Now, here at some time, David was promised to be married to Saul's daughter. It came time and Saul said, nope, never mind, he's going to marry this other guy. How would you respond? David said, you're the boss. You're the boss. You're the king. He submitted to authority even when authority's out of their mind. He didn't bad speak Saul. He didn't say, you know what that little no God, he broke his word to me. I can't trust him. He refused to speak bad about the king. He still behaved himself wisely because King Saul was still his authority. He behaved himself wisely. Saul learns this and says, all right, I'll come up with another plan. Here's the other plan. Verse number 20. And Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, hey, Saul, do you know that your other daughter loves, loves David? Yes. And the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give him her that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore, Saul said to David, thou shall be... This day, my son-in-law with one of the twain. And Saul begins his campaign and said, hey, you guys start talking to David. See if he likes my daughter. They went back and David said, hey, is it a light thing to be the king's son-in-law? If the king wants me to be the son-in-law, that's fine. I'll be glad to do it. If not, it's not a big deal. He's the authority. He's the boss. And they told Saul. And he says, okay, here we go. So Saul begins to uh, get another whisper campaign and say, hey, David, the king doesn't want a dowry. Now, that's what they did back then. So a guy could pick up payments on a daughter. They would 
offer, you know, chickens or horses or land or whatever else and, and exchange all that valuables for the daughter. And the king said, I, uh, through the whisper campaign, he doesn't want a king. He doesn't want a dowry. What he wants as a present is he wants a hundred foreskins of Philistines. You say, what's a foreskin? Let's just say that it's something personable to men. And he says, what I want you to do, David, is I don't want the heads. I don't want the ears. I want the foreskins. And I want you to get a hundred of them. Now, the plan was, is that Saul wanted David to build up a reputation with the Philistines that the Philistines said, no, what? I'm not going to let him defile me. I am not going to allow him to mutilate me. We're going to kill this guy. We're not going to allow him to touch us. And with the idea that the Philistines would be very much not going to allow themselves to die under David's hand. And so David says, all right, that's what the king wants. Not only did he collect 100, he collected 200. He said, I'll show the king. And he went and killed 200 Philistines and brought the, what Saul had asked, 200 of them. And Saul said, I can't kill this guy. He just won't die. And not only that, he goes above and beyond what he's asked to do. How do you mess with a guy like this? I mean, I can't kill him personally. I can't send him to battle to die. I can't make the Philistines where they hate him so much they're going to kill him. Now, David's got a big reputation. Nobody's going to mess with David. And by the way, David didn't do anything but just obey. And God's using this and building this up. And Saul is beside himself. What am I going to do? So finally, marry the daughter. Verse number 28. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than the servants of Saul that his name was much set by. What he became is that he became the gold standard. That everyone measured themselves by David's example. You want to know how you're supposed to carry yourself as a servant? Look at David. You want to see how to carry yourself in the, as a victor? Look at David. You want to see how you deal with enemies? Look at David. He became the example that everyone in the kingdom measured themselves by. You want the example of how to behave yourself wisely? Look at David. Which now brings us to the last thing and the application of it. The results of behaving yourself wisely. Now we understood that how we behave ourselves wisely is we ask for wisdom from above. James 1.5 That if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God and he shall give it to him liberally and abradeth him not. That we could ask for God for wisdom and he could give us wisdom of how to behave ourselves in victory. How to behave ourselves in, our, in the presence of enemies. How to behave ourselves with authority. That we could behave ourselves wisely. Now if we behave ourselves wisely, what are the results of it? What does the Bible say in this passage are the results of behaving ourselves wisely no matter what the circumstances? First of all, we understand that people accept you. That people accept you. Notice with me in verse 5. And David went without whither Saul set him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also the sight of Saul's servants. Notice in verse 30. And the princes of the Philistines went forth. And it came to pass they went forth that David behaved himself the more wisely than all the servants of Saul. So his name was much set by. We could see that David was accepted by the people. That the people, men, other people will accept you. What do we mean by this? Well, as I said before, that there are some people that you have to search. Are they having a good day? Well, then we know not to stay, uh, stick around with them. There are some people that you know, you don't deal with them if they're grumpy. You don't deal with them if they're sideways. But if you have someone that you know, no matter what, they're going to behave themselves wisely. You don't mind hanging around them even if they're having a bad day. There's nothing like someone having a bad day and the little rain cloud follows them wherever they are and their countenance and they could just sit there and just kind of stare and there's just a coldness. There's never an acceptable time to be cold to other people. Never. 
Never. Because other people don't respond well to you. If you give them the cold shoulder, you don't speak to them. You just speak in small terms. It's hard to hang around a person who doesn't respond back to you. You say, but I'm having a bad day. Doesn't mean you have to be grumpy about it. You could still respond well to people. That the people accepted him. That they knew David, he wasn't going to behave himself unseemly. He wasn't going to be a type of person that won and everyone, look at how great I am. Look at me. Thank you. Now everyone avert their eyes. He's someone that even if he's having a good day, you could still hang around him. We all know people who are so egocentric that we just can't be around them when they're talking about how great they are. So he was accepted by all people. They knew that you could be around David, whether he's having a good day or a bad day, and he was accepted. People didn't mind hanging around him. Notice this. What's another result of behaving yourself wisely? First of all, people accept you. But notice this. The Lord is with you. This is probably the most important thing is that the Lord is with you. Notice with me in verse 12. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and departed from Saul. Verse number 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. Notice with me in verse 28. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. Here we come to the idea of influence. That if God is with someone, they've taken note in the book of Acts, they took note that they had been with Jesus. That attracts people to the Lord. That God is real in their life. How do I know God is real in their life? Because how they respond to God. You think of the, Philipp, uh, Philippine, ah, the Philippian jailer. Paul and Barnabas or not Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, were beaten for preaching the gospel. They were whipped. Their backs are sore and messed up. And they're put in jail in the middle of the night. And they're put on certain stalks that make them where they have to sit down and the stalks go over their legs so they can't stand up. They're, landing, they're laying in the muck and the mire. Rats can crawl over them. Cockroaches can crawl over them. Water dripping. They're in a dungeon. And Paul looks over to Silas and says, well, we've been in worse places. And Silas says, what are we going to do? Paul says, let's sing this song. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wrench like me. Silas says, this is good. Let's sing together. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. Praise God. And they're singing. And the Bible says they sing so loud at midnight that all the prison heard them. Can you sing like that when your back is bleeding? You are whipped for no reason. You're thrown in jail and they threw away the key. How can they do such a thing? Because they behaved themselves wisely. And as they behaved themselves wisely, God's presence was on them. So when the earthquake happened and their stocks are open and the Philippian jailer says, oh no, they're going to escape. And Paul and Silas says, no, we're not going anywhere. And the Philippian jailer came up to them, got on their knees and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Why would he do such a thing? Because of the testimony of Paul and Silas. That God was with them. Why was God with them? Because they behaved themselves wisely. You know people are watching you. If you call yourself a Christian, they watch for you when you're having a bad day. Because they want to see if there's something different about your life than their life. If you could go to the place where you're so grumpy and whatever else, people are understanding, but they're also turned away because your God's not real, not when you're hurting. That's when you get to prove that your God is real, when you're in pain, when you're having a bad day, when things are turning against you, when you have enemies that are trying to destroy you. 
That is when you prove that your God is real to an outside world. When God is with you. That's the time. That's when we show that our God is real. And that's where people come to us and say, there's something different about your life. Tell me about it. I watched you as you struggled during this time. Other Christians will come up and say, I learned from your example, and I'm encouraged by it. I, I'm able to move on because I watched how you responded during this time. God can use us to be a help to others because everyone is watching your life. Your life is in a fishbowl whether you like it or not. And as soon as you declare yourself a Christian, people will watch you because they want to see if you're real. People are tired of hearing about Christianity. They want to meet one. And where do they meet one? When you're having a bad day and how you respond. That is when the rubber hits the road. And if you respond wisely, the Lord is with you and that draws people closer. Their God is real. There's one other result that we see here. We see not only do the people accept you, not only is the Lord with you, but notice this. The enemies are afraid of you. The enemies are afraid of you. Notice with me in verse 12. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and departed from Saul. Notice with me in verse 15. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself wise, very wisely, he was afraid of him. Verse number 29. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. Now we understand that we all are going to have enemies. There are going to be people who don't like you. I'm sorry to tell you, there are going to be people who don't like you. How do you respond to them? You behave yourself wisely. What they get to the places they can't touch you. Saul tried to kill David, not once, not twice, but more than that. We'll see this in the future. He makes it his personal goal to kill David. And he can't. And that scares him to death. When he looks at David and he sees that David has God's blessing and he doesn't have him, it scares him to death. When he watches how other people respond to him, it scares him to death. Why? Because he knows there's a real God. And this God can protect you. This God can watch over you. This God could do things for you. He realizes that that God is real and he's scared of God. You know, some people need the fear of the Lord. They need to know that there is a God that's real. They need to know that God is alive. Let's go back to Paul. Paul is in the city of Lystra. He's preaching the gospel. And they hate his message so much, they drag the apostle Paul and they drag him out of the city. They throw him a pit that's outside of the city that's surrounded by rocks. And they put him in the pit. They take the rocks and they throw stones. They could feel the stones get he could feel it as he hits his arm and he feels it break. He could hear, feel the head get hit and his head begins to bleed until they eventually rock him to sleep. He dies. The apostle Paul is dead. The, after everyone kind of disperses, the disciples all gather around and say, Oh man, look at this mangled mess. Then Paul stands up. Healed. And you know what he does? He gets up and walks right back into town. Do you think the people in the town of Lystra were afraid of God that day? You bet they were. We can't kill. Didn't we just kill him? Their God is real. They were afraid to touch him after that. There were some of them who wanted to kill him. But they go, how do we do this? How do we get rid of this guy? And the enemies were afraid of God that day. Why? Because they behaved himself wisely you know you're not going to have an absence of enemies in fact the bible makes you a promise that yea all that shall live godly will suffer persecution that's a promise the more that you try to live godly the more enemies you're going to collect how do you deal with those enemies you behave yourself wisely and let god fight your battles for you and he could do a lot better job of taking care of those enemies than what you ever could that's the whole principle of it here our responsibility is to ask for wisdom from God and he'll help us to behave ourselves wisely. As a result, people respond to you better. They want to know more about it. 
we understand that God is with us. And the people recognize, I want to know more about that God. And our enemies are afraid, not of us, but of God. I can't touch that guy. I've tried to do it. And God works on their heart. You know, the Bible gives the principle inside of the Proverbs that how do we deal with our enemies? <laughs> Be kind to your enemies. And God will put heaping coals of fire upon their head. Now, we're not kind to them because we want to see the heaping fire. We're being kind to them because we're behaving ourselves wisely. God takes care of the enemies. As long as we're worried about enemies, we're not going to be worried about what God has given us to do. That's why we can't fret who likes you and who doesn't. That's our problem is that we like people, everyone to like us. Not everyone's going to like you. The sooner that you realize that, the better off you're going to be in God's work. Because he's the one I have to please. When it's God that I have to please, I just behave myself wisely. I deal with all people. I don't have to be frustrated with other people. Imagine how much stress we'll get when we're not frustrated with other people. I let God take care of it. I'm just supposed to behave myself wisely and let God take care of them. And he will. So we see from the example of David of behaving himself wisely. The whole time we see contrasted Saul who's getting angrier and angrier and angrier. Because he's looking at himself and he's so jealous of David. When at any time, Saul could have gotten right. At any time, he could have went to God and said, God, I messed up. I'm jealous. I've been against your anointed. And Saul could have gotten right. That was the whole problem with Saul is that he refused to get right. But we have the example of David. That David behaved himself wisely. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.